friends and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spasciano joined as always by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Good. Hard to believe this is number 45. So 45 was the number of football legend from Notre Dame, Daniel Rudy Rudovich. Uh, in basketball, I believe it was uh, Michael Jordan's second number with the Bulls. And uh, in baseball, it was uh, Bullet Bob Gibson. So a good number. Good number, 45. Well, Benny, we um last week we had a, a great conversation and we've really been moving along. There's been a lot of activity in the group and we love the personal stories and we've got a great one this evening. But before we get to talking and before we introduce our guest, you do you said you have a special shout out for our sponsor today. Yes, sir. So Dan and Benny in the Ring is brought to you by Boogie's Wrestling Camp, founded in nineteen ninety-two by wrestling legend Jimmy Valiant and his beautiful wife Angel. BWC is situated in beautiful scenic Shawsville, Virginia, which is in the middle of nowhere and 50 miles east. So whether you want to be a wrestler, manager, announcer, or valet, BWC is the place for you. At BWC, you'll receive the best possible training from Jimmy and his amazing staff. You'll learn you'll learn holds, bumps, psychologies, promos, and everything you need to succeed. Uh, the cost is just $250 down and $20 per session, which my understanding is that's a fraction of what most wrestling schools cost you. Uh, Boogie's Wrestling Camp has turned out 29 graduating classes, and the most notable alumnus is uh, AEW superstar um, Hangman Adam Page, which uh, it should be noted that Hangman Adam Page, I believe it's on Saturday night, uh, will be facing uh, Kenny Omega for the AEW uh, World Championship. I think it's called Full Gear is the name of the pay-per-view. So if you're uh, when when you join BWC, you're not just joining a wrestling school; you're becoming a part of the family. Interested? Visit JimmyValiant.Weebly.com for more information on Boogie's Wrestling Camp. BWC, the Ring of Dreams, where the dream becomes a reality. Reality, and tell them Dan and Benny sent you. So you got the great people at BWC. You got Jimmy. You got Angel. You got the Valiant Sisters, Lisa and Precious, and you got Magnet Man, uh, Big M, Brian Powell. And not to mention Captain Joe. And let's let's uh, hope uh, Adam Page uh, captures the title so Jimmy will have a, uh, a world champion in his stable. There you go. Speaking of, uh, speaking of wrestling and, and the matches, obviously we, we talked before the show. Um, our guest has been in the ring with Jimmy. He's probably very, very familiar with his, uh, his work and style. Benny, I said at the big top of the show, we love the, the stories, and our next guest is going to have a boatload of good ones. Uh, why don't you tell everybody who we got on the line with us? This gentleman has wrestled all over the country, some of the older territories. Uh, we love the territories. Also, a couple of tours of Japan. And he has wrestled a who, literally a who's who of, of wrestling superstars. And he just had a birthday on Saturday. So let's welcome... Uh, Mike Jones, a.k.a. Rocky Jones, a.k.a. Mike Masters. Mike, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Thanks, guys. You know, I, I we always start with the obvious, and, and it's funny. It's one of those questions you think, you know, you hear it you time and time again, and it, the answer is different every time. With, with as long and storied a career as you had, we've got to know um, – 
when did it start? When when did the the wrestling bug bite you that you said that's what I'm doing? Well, it started when I was really young. Uh, I used to go over to my uh, great grandmother and great grandfather's house, and um, they were huge wrestling fans. They, I mean, I, back then I think it was on three times a week. There wasn't many, you know, uh, stations uh, back then, and I think wrestling was probably one of the you know shows that was on the most. And I can remember them. They used to be jumping, and they were quite quite old at the time, and they would be jumping out of their seats, going crazy, and. Uh, big, big Bruno San Martino fans. And uh, that's why I first got bitten by the bug. So, Mike, curious, uh, you're a Jersey guy. Uh, you're about the same age as I am. Uh, I used to watch on Saturday night on that the Spanish station out of Newark. W, I think it was at WNJU. Uh-huh. Is, is, is that where you saw it? No, actually, it was from the, when they were filming down in Washington. It was WWWF, and they were down at, or Capital. Actually, I think it was called Capital, Capital Wrestling. Wrestling. It was from the National Arena, Washington D.C. Yes, sir. Yeah, that's where I that's where I saw it. Um, they used to telecast from there, and I, that's why I remember watching the matches. And I mean, God, it was it was incredible. I mean, Bruno and the Graham brothers, and uh, you know, just uh, fantastic. When I was a kid, it was it was it was awesome. Well, I guess it's obvious question. Answer the next question then. Uh, Bruno was he was he your favorite growing up? Oh yeah, I mean, like my dad was my only idol. But if I had a second idol, it would have been Bruno. Uh, you know, he was he was just a an awesome champion. I thought. I mean, to me, I always equate him to the big brute of professional wrestling. Well, Benny is a as a baseball uh, lover as well. You, I know you you can respect that analogy. Absolutely. So, Mike, uh, when at what point did you make the crossover from you know being a fan and watching it on TV to you know deciding? Well, you know what, I might want to do this as as a vocation. Yeah, actually, I, I had just graduated college. I played football, and um, I you know I had a, bounced around a little with you know with free agency and stuff like that, and you know nothing was happening for me there, and. Uh, so then I thought, you know what, you know, I, I, I know how to wrestle. And at the time I was about 240 pounds. I was big. I was very strong. And uh, I was like, I wish I could, you know, somehow meet somebody that knows somebody in the wrestling business. Cause I'd like to, you know, I'd like to do that. And sure enough, um, I had an uncle who had an acquaintance and his acquaintance was Mario Savoldi. And uh, he had spoke, he spoke to Mario on my behalf. And Mario wanted me to come and meet him and went and met Mario. And he took a look at me. He saw I had the size and, you know, he knew I had an athletic background. So he, you know, he said, well, listen, I'm going to, he goes, you have to, you know, you know how to wrestle, but you have to learn how to, you know, take bumps and, and, you know, ring psychology and all that stuff. He goes, I'm going to send you to uh, Johnny Rods and uh, I'm going to have Johnny train you, which I trained with Johnny for, I guess, about a year. Um, basically, you know, just learning the holes and the bumps and, uh, psychology inside the ring, outside the ring, which is something really important. Uh, I don't know. I mean, today it's a different business, but back then, I mean, you know, I was taught, um, that when you go into a locker room, how to, how to act in a locker room and, you know, um, all the etiquette that, you know, you, you should have. And if you want to get along, 
you know, especially with veterans and stuff like that, you know, you really, you know, you have to show respect. And I was taught that and uh, it went a long way for me. You know, you mentioned two names. I'm sorry, Dan. No, go ahead, uh, Benny. You mentioned two names that are very near and dear to me. Uh, uh, Mario, I actually wrote a story uh, for ProWrestlingStories.com, the website, on his dad, um, Angelo Savoli, who is a true legend yeah. in professional wrestling. And Johnny oh, yeah. Rods, I mean, I've actually spoken on the phone with Johnny Rods. What a great guy. And the very first time I turned on professional wrestling, I think it was probably like January of 1968. One of the very first matches I saw was the unpredictable Johnny Rods. And yeah. probably for the first close to 20 years that I watched wrestling, every time I, I saw a show at the Garden, it seemed like he was always on the card. Yeah. Yep. Johnny was Johnny was a, a phenomenal worker, a uh, tough guy. Um, I know a lot of times they, they used him to get, you know, he would bring in guys from outside and they would use Johnny to get him over. But you know, Johnny always looked good in his matches and, uh, you know, he was an excellent teacher. Um, you know, and he also, I know he has a wrestling, uh, school too. And, uh, I mean, Johnny was, uh, you know, he was a really good mentor for me. You know, that and kind of answered the next question with the last question. I was going to ask you about who, who trains you and, and your training coming up. I'm curious when you were training, you said for about a year, any, uh, any names that went through or that you trained with at the time that might make an interesting note? Uh, at the time, basically it was, I was training one-on-one -on -one with Johnny, uh, at that time. Um, he didn't, you know, have like, uh, cause he was still in the business at the time. So we would go, uh, I would meet him like on a Saturday morning over in the lower East side in New York. And we used to go to this, this kind of bombed out old school building and they had a ring in there and uh we used to go and that's where we, that's where we worked out and uh but he didn't there wasn't i mean it was just him and i it was a one-on-one -on -one situation so it wasn't like he was training a bunch of guys at the time because at the time as i said he was still in the business and he was on the road all the time so he really couldn't you know have something like that so he just you know as a, i guess a favor to to mario um he you know he took me on Another very good friend of our show, Davey O'Hannon, said that Johnny oh, Rods uh, love Davey. Davey said Davey that Johnny could have been a champion anywhere he went, yeah. but he decided yep. to stay in New York. And he told a story one time when uh, I guess it was um, uh, Gino Hernandez came into mm -hmm. New York uh, thinking he was mm -hmm. all that and uh, yeah. kind of arrogant in the locker room and everything. And uh, he yep. wrestled Johnny that night. Now, Gino won the match, but. I think he learned a couple of lessons in the ring from uh, Johnny Rods. Oh, that he wasn't the only one. I've seen I've seen a couple of guys that uh, were took this. They were they were taken to school by Johnny, and uh, you know he, you know I mean, you, I understand they come in from different territories, and you know they're they're maybe you know working on top where they are, and who knows whatever what the circumstances are and stuff. But you know when you go into New York. Uh, you know, you, you, you better be humble because I tell you, New York had some tough, tough guys there. And uh, if, if you thought you were something special, you learned real quick that you weren't. Absolutely. Absolutely. Benny, um, we were talking a little bit before the show that we were, we wanted to ask about the TV tapings in Allentown. You said you had a, 
Uh, one of your favorites was there. Why don't you delve into that question? Yeah, the very first I was, a, you know, I was a Bruno. Bruno was my hero always. You know, I lo- and I love the baby yeah. faces. You know, back in the late 60s, yeah. you had Victor Rivera. You had Eduard Carpentier, yeah. another another great friend of our show who recently passed away, who we missed dearly, Dominic DiNucci, all the baby faces. But oh, yeah. there was one heel that I always was enamored with, and that was Baron Mikhail Cicluna from the Isle of Malta. Yeah. With that cape. Mike was a great guy. And what a according great, what to... A, what a great guy. Absolutely. And I, Davey and Dominic both spoke of him with the utmost fondness. Um, yep. According to the, the the database that I looked at, was which was WrestlingData.com, um, your first WWWF tapings in Allentown, your very first match, it looks like you were actually in a tag team with Baron against Tony Gurria and Larry Zabisco. And then on the same day, you did another taping where you faced... Ivan Putski in a singles match. What was it like going against those guys? I mean, I grew up with those guys. Well, actually, that that wasn't that wasn't my first, my first match. Actually, was 1979, July 10th. It was at it was at Ag Hall in Allentown, and my first match was against um, um, the Arab. Um, oh, Hussein Arab, the Iron Sheik. At that time, they called him Hussein Arab. They yeah, didn't call him yeah. Iron Sheik at that time. Right. And that was my first match. And it, it's funny because they told me to be down there at like 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the afternoon down at Ag Hall. So at that time, they were doing their promos. They were cutting promos. So I go walking in there, and I got like a laundry bag. My stuff's in a laundry bag. It looked like I just jumped ship. <laughs> and I walk in, and <laughs> I'm standing there, and they're, I'm watching them do their interviews. And there's Lou Albano. and. Freddie Blassie and the Grand Wizard and uh, Bob Backlund and Ken Patel, all these guys, they're all standing there and they're, doing, they're cutting their promos. And so Lou sees me standing there and he doesn't know who I am. So he comes running over. He goes, hey, kid, can I help you, kid? I said, yeah, they, 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 I'm supposed to be wrestling here today. They told me to come down. So I said, oh, go, go behind the curtain. He goes, and talk to Gino. And Gino was, they, that was Gorilla Monsoon. So... I go behind the curtain now, being I was a huge Bruno fan. I walk behind a curtain, and who's there but Bruno, Gino, and Vince Senior and Vince Junior. And I did a Ralph Fran, but I'm kind of I'm like a I'm hum, gonna... hum, 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 hum. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I'm like, holy cow! I mean, I can't believe it. I've been watching Bruno from the time I was a kid, and here I am, I'm standing talking to the guy. So. Um, um, Gorilla Monsoon says to me, he goes, all right, what's your name, kid? I said, well, my name's Mike Jones. He goes, well, we got a Jones. He goes, I'm going to change your name. I'll let you know. Just go in the uh, other room, get get your stuff on. He goes, and I'll let you know, you know, what your name is. Okay. So I, I do that. And now all the boys start coming in, you know, and they're all, you know, sitting down and getting dressed. And, you know, you really feel kind of awkward, you know, but everybody was really cool. And, you know, I introduced myself to everybody and, uh, so now they, they had they, they used to put the tapings just, just on a piece of lined paper. They would write down the matches, you know, it'd be like five matches. I think it was per uh, show. So now it was about the third or fourth match. And um, Iron Sheik is wrestling some guy named Mike Masters. So I'm just sitting there. I have no idea you know, what's <laughs> going on. And Sheik's running around like, who's Mike Masters? Who's Mike Masters? Right. So he goes in the back and he gets Gino. And Gino comes running in and he goes, get in the ring. I said, oh, I'm Masters. He goes, get in the ring. I'm like, okay. And so I had no idea that I was Mike Masters until that very, that very minute. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
that's one, <laughs> one way to find out about a gimmick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But, uh, you know, it was good. And, and I have to say, you know, uh, Sheik was very good to me. Uh, he didn't want to sit bit me because he was using the, the camel clutch and he didn't want to do that. So we just had a, a match and he let me get a little offense in. I mean, this is my first match and I'm green as hell. And, uh, you know, he, he pinned me, but, you know, he didn't want to use submission hold. So I, I, I you know, thought that was you know pretty cool. Um, consider, I mean, here, here's this guy off the street, you know, he can do anything he wants to do. And, um, <laughs> You know, I was I was pretty happy about that. Mike, did you have any idea that he would be the guy who would eventually take the belt away from Bob Ackland when you wrestled him? Um, no, not really. Um, I didn't think that. You know, I I didn't think so at the time. Not that he wasn't. You know, I, I mean, he had obviously had a background, and um, he was a you know he was a really he was an excellent worker. Uh, but you know, I just didn't at that time. I didn't think he they would give him the belt, but. Uh, especially everything that was going on, but I guess that was good because he had a lot of natural heat without even doing anything. So I guess it made sense. See that. Speaking of, uh, yeah, what well, <clears throat> you mentioned the Sheik and uh, some of the guys in the story you just told, like uh, uh, you know, Ken Patera and and some of the others at the time, Volkov and, and that group. You were around in the in the WWW well, what was the WWWF circuit, uh, pretty much full time for a few years, going into from the late like seventy nine into eighty. Um, yeah, but f- tracking from there, you know, especially uh, Benny mentioned his uh, his friend and hero, you know, Baron Cicluna. You you actually had uh, a, hot, a win over him and and other so, some moments that you figure might, might keep things going, but then you, you slowly transition from there in, in the Southeast championship wrestling was there. I'm just, you know, not to, not to, uh, dig too deep, but, but what was the, the reason you didn't stay around with the WWF at the time, uh, in say like 79 into 80. Well, actually what had happened was Vince senior had sent myself and Jimmy Duggan to Hawaii to work for Peter Maivia. Um, the territory wasn't doing real, real great. And he needed, uh, Peter needed, you know, wrestlers over there and, uh, senior thought it would be a good place for myself and Jimmy to go because he, we can learn a lot because we'd be working on top and lo- learning how to do promos and, you know, and all of that stuff. So that was my first, the first place that I had gone was to Hawaii to work for Peter Maivia there. And that was actually great because, um, there was a lot of, there was some, there was some really good talent there. Um, uh, when I was there, uh, Ming was there, Siva Afi, um, Jim, Jimmy Duggan, myself, we had a, we had a pretty good crew. And then guys would come in when they were coming back from Japan and stuff, or if they were in California, like Victor Rivera, Victor was a sweetheart, great guy. Um, Victor would come in or, uh, you know, some other guys, uh, the, we had a big show and Nick Bockwinkle was there and, um, uh, the destroyer. Uh, so there was a lot of guys that I got an opportunity to watch and, and talk to and learn from, uh, in Hawaii. And I stayed there for, I guess I was there for maybe, let's say about eight months. Wow. And finally I left. Um, you know, I mean, we really weren't making any money. I mean, fortunately, I was really lucky that, uh, Vince senior, he was kind of paying us for uh for peter 
because uh, there really wasn't a whole lot going on there. And uh, Jim Duggan and myself, we were we were getting getting checks from WWWF while we worked in Hawaii. Um, when I finished up there, I came back to New York, but there really wasn't a spot for me there. So I decided to hit the territories, and I was talking to um, Hogan uh, Kerry, and he he told he said to me, "Listen, I think a good territory for you where you can really learn." is the Pensacola, which is Southeastern Championship Wrestling, which the Fullers ran. So he made a phone call, and um, I went down there, and I worked down there for for a while. So, if uh, again, I'm relying on my, my wrestle data, wrestlingdata.com. If that is correct, uh, in that territory, in Pensacola, 41 years ago today, uh, it says that you wrestled Luthez in Pensacola. Yes. Yep. Yep. I was, I mean, here I am green, you know, still green and I'm going to wrestle Lupez. And then he said, you know, we're just, and we just did a 10 minute Broadway. Um, and I was like, wow, man, I, <laughs> what Lou, whatever you want to do, man, <laughs> I'm just happy to be in a ring with you. Number one, number two, you know, they're not going to beat me. So that was, that was really for me. I thought that was really special. And, uh, but he, Lou was terrific. Um, I mean, at the time he had to be in the sixties, but I'll tell you what, the guy looked, he just had an aura about him. You, you just, if he walked into a room, you'd look at him and say, this guy's a champion of something. I don't know what it is, but he's a champion. He just had that, that aura about him. And, uh, yeah, that was really, uh, that's one of the highlights of my career is getting an opportunity to wrestle Luthez and, uh, you know, wrestle Walter Kowalski and, uh, you know, uh, I mean, these were, these were like legendary people that I, you know, watched as a kid and here I am actually in the ring with them now. It was, it was mind blowing. That's not a bad career. And like in the first couple of years spending, I don't yeah. care if you made no money in Hawaii. If you get, if you get to hang out in Hawaii for eight months, that's a good thing. And then, I mean, but, but yeah, it sounds well, like you, you, you've got a graduate, uh, like a, a master's degree in wrestling, no pun intended. Uh, in Hawaii, you know, with all the, the, you know, the wrestlers you got to work with and the matches you got to see, and then you got to wrestle Luthez. I mean, you have, like I said, you wrestled the who's who. So, I mean, definitely not a bad start to the career. No, definitely. No, it was, it definitely was not. I was very fortunate, uh, you know, and, um, I had, you know, I, I, and I had help along the way. I mean, you know, got to know, you know, different guys in the business and they would recommend, you know, different places or, you know places where they had ties where they would make a phone call for me or whatever to to help me get into the territory so you know i was very fortunate that way you know if i can go back for a second you were talking about your time in hawaii uh, jim duggan was always one of my favorites uh, do you have any good road stories traveling with him oh yeah <laughs> i don't know if we could say it on the air but yeah we had some we had some interesting situations. My first day in Hawaii, um, I, when I first got in, it was late at night, and I stayed at the Waikiki Circle, where all the boys used to stay. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, I hear there's two guys outside fighting and yelling and screaming. And, and I, I, I don't know who it is, so I, you know, I, go, I go to bed. Next morning, they, they sent a guy from the office to pick me up and bring me back. And we were staying in um, – in uh, a place called the Chateau Blue. And I was on Capilani Boulevard. And I was staying with Jim. So 
I get there and, and Jim's like talking. I said, yeah, I couldn't sleep all night. These two knuckleheads outside yelling and screaming. He goes, that was us. It was me and Pete Austin. <laughs> I started laughing. Right. So now we decide we're going to go to the beach, but we're not going to Waikiki. We're going to go to a local beach. We go to Ala Moana. So we go and we're on the beach and we're drinking, you know, feeling pretty good. And now we're coming back and we're walking through the parking lot and there's all locals there. And there had to be a couple hundred of them. And, you know, they got the music blasting and, you know, some own people are all gigantic. They're all huge people. And uh, we're walking through. So some little kind of runt of the litter, he comes up and he gets in front of us and he starts talking. And he's at first, he's, you know, he's being nice. He's like, hey, you guys, big guys, you look good. Yeah, you, you look good. What are you, are you football players? Nah, nah, we're wrestlers. And the guys, you know, so then the guy's like, I, right, but you know what, you guys, you ain't nothing. My boys over there, they kick your ass. So now Duggan had a few beers in him. <laughs> he, this guy's drinking a beer. He grabs the beer out of the guy's hand and slugs it down. And he looks at the guy and he says, is this your car? And the guy's like, yeah, that's my car, brother. So Duggan takes the bottle and smashes it on the car. Right. Well, all of a sudden, I'm looking around and it's like all eyes are on us. And we're like in the middle and we're surrounded. And like I said, there had to be well over 100 guys there. And I'm like, oh, this ain't good. Because, you know, I still got, I'm, I'm still, I'm not drunk. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm okay. So Duggan's like, yeah, you want to take this from this guy? I was like, Jim, calm down. I said, take a look around. Right. I said, let me talk to this guy. So I said, hey, listen, I'll tell you what. Why don't you go get the three toughest guys you got? You see the parking lot across the street? We're going to go fight over there. No, oh, brother, we fight right here. Ah, oh, come on, man. I said, dude, look at you got a oh, you got a hundred guys over here. There's only three of us. It was myself, Jim, and, and Pete Austin, wild man Pete Austin. So the guys like talking and talking. So as as we're he's talking, we're talking back and forth. We're moving backwards. So finally, we get a good distance away, and then I just like you know we just kind of yeah, you're full of crap, and we walk away, and you know we go back to the Chateau Blue, and this is before cell phones or anything like that. And uh, we get we get back to the Chateau Blue, and about ten minutes later, one of the guys from the office comes down, knocks on the door, and says, "Hey, you guys, you better go upstairs. Peter wants to talk to you." Okay, so we go upstairs, we walk in, Peter's sitting there, and he's like, "Sit down." And we sit down, and he says, "Let me tell you something." He goes, "You don't mess with island people because you can't get off this island." <laughs> okay, we got the message loud and clear. Yeah, so I've been. <laughs> So that was one of the one of the stories with Jimmy. <laughs> but um, yeah, when another one, uh, we 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 stayed together, and neither one of us were, you know, we were both Oscar Madisons. Neither one of us were Felix Unger. So our place was a, was a disaster. It was a mess, you know. <laughs> We'd be, you know, he'd be eating a sandwich, he'd be on the floor, he'd be there for three months. You know, nobody was going to take it off. Wouldn't be the odd couple, I mean, be the even couple. Oh yeah. And we had, we called it the beer can tree because we used to drink beer and we just throw the cans in the corner and the cans started going up the, all the way up the, toward the ceiling. So we called it the beer can tree. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we had some, we had some good times. Uh, and I like to give a shout out to him because he just was operated on for um, prostate cancer. And uh, I'm wishing him the best because Jimmy's a really, really good guy. I've heard nothing but good things about Jim Duggan. And yes, uh, thoughts and prayers to him because he's had a couple of health issues in the past couple of months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was actually in in for emergency surgery just about a week before 
he had to go in for the prostate uh, surgery. So, yeah, he's been having some issues with his health. And hopefully, uh, hopefully it works out. I know he's, he's beaten some, some odds in the past. So definitely yeah. got the fighting spirit. He's definitely a fighter. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Yep. Without a doubt. You know, if we can transition a little bit from you talk to Hawaii, your transition, and then you were talking with, uh, your, your conversation you had with Hogan and moving on. I want to talk a little bit. It, uh, if my dates are correct here, I'm looking at some notes. Benny passed over. Uh, it was March 27th, 1981. You actually defeated <clears throat> Victor Rivera at the Olympic Auditorium and won the NWA Americas title. Yes, yes. And I was wondering because yeah, that, that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I was. I was, no, I was just going to say that was a that was a really. Uh, it was a great match and it was like, a, it was like 45 minutes. It was a 45 minute match. Oh, wow. I was, I was going to ask how, you know, to go from, you, you, you know, Hawaii and bouncing around the WWF and you said, you know, I'm going to work the territories and you were kind of still at the time kind of clawing your way through the, the territories. I mean, everybody did back then you defeated a legend and won what was one of the most prestigious titles in America at the time. You know, how, what is it? How, well, how does that transition go? How did that conversation come about? Hey, we're putting the strap on you. You know, how, how kind of put us in the mindset you were in at, the, at back then? Well, I, what, when I was working out there, we used to meet at the Olympic auditorium. That's where they filmed. And we would get down there in the afternoon, maybe like three or four o'clock in the afternoon. And Mike LaBelle, who was the promoter there, he would kind of lay out what we were going to do for that television show, you know, and what was going on. So they had, they were billing me like, you know, as a strong man. And I did some strong man stuff. You know, I was, you know, I would do the, the gorilla slam where you press the guy over your head and then, uh, you know, throw him down and then uh, cover him for the pin or whatever. And uh, they were, they, you know, they brought me, I mean, they right off the bat, they started using me really good and they kept on pushing and pushing. And uh, the, I think the logic behind giving me the belt was that after that, I was going to work with Neil Mascaris in a hair versus mask match. So um, they, I guess they wanted to give me enough credibility, um, you know, and that's why they probably put the belt on me at the time. Uh, and we had a really good crew out there, myself, uh, Chris Adams, Tom Pritchard, John Polis, who was, an, was another mentor, a phenomenal guy, John. Uh, Ox Baker was working with us, Charlie Tanaka. I mean, we had a really good crew out there. And um, so they, they decided to put the belt on me. And, um, yeah, uh, they built it up for the match with uh, Moscarus. That, that's that name to me is very special, Victor Rivera, because, again, I started watching in early 1968. Victor Rivera was the number two baby face in the WWF, only, you know, only, you know, succeeded by Bruno San Martino. Um, and Victor had yeah. that title for a few years until uh, until Jay Strombo came in and then Jay became the number one baby, the number two baby face. I guess Victor moved on at yeah. that point. But like. Victor, I, I don't think I, you know, I watched that Capitol Wrestling show for, you know, several years when I first started watching. I don't ever remember Victor Rivera losing a match. Yeah. Yeah. He I mean, was, that's how good he Victor was. was phenomenal. 
he was phenomenal. He really was. He was phenomenal and a, and a terrific guy because, I mean, you know, he could have very easily declined and said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to put this kid over. He's a young kid. I'm not going to do that. But he didn't do that. And we had we had a hell of a match. We really did. It was, like I said, it was 45 minutes. And I'm not going to lie, man. Victor was still going and I was blown up big time. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, let me ask you a quick question because this is this has always been something I've thought about. So you know, Bruno loses the title to Ivan Koloff. Uh, what three weeks later, Pedro Morales wins the title. Um, yeah, I, in my opinion, I would have loved to seen Victor Rivera win that championship. Do you think he would have made a credible champion? Without a doubt, no doubt, okay. no doubt at all. Yep, without a doubt. Yeah. He was a he was a phenomenal worker and and he was a legitimate a legitimate tough guy too, you know. But um, just a, a really really good person, really good person. Uh, one of my like least favorite moments in the history of wrestling was I think I don't even know what, what year it was and it was somewhere in the late seventies when he came back as a heel, uh, and I, I think yeah. Freddie Blassie managed him. I just did it just didn't seem right that Victor Rivera was a heel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Victor was a baby. He was he was a born baby face. You know, he was he was that was some guys they they could work both ways, but some guys are just really suited. You know, it's like trying to turn Bruno into a heel. You know, it, right? It, it just it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. But or Dominic, uh, Dominic you know, was such a nice guy. Oh yeah, uh, Dominic's a sweetheart. He was a sweetheart. Yeah. I mean, Dominic actually tried to talk me out of going to Hawaii because he knew they weren't making any money. He goes, listen, kid, he goes, you know, don't go. You're not going to make any money. He goes, you know, and at the and actually what had happened was Gino had set me up in Charlotte. So I was planning on going to the Carolinas to work. And then I was wrestling in Fall River and Arnold Scolan came up to me and said, hey, kid, he goes, uh, the old man wants you to go to Hawaii. So I said, well, Gino told me, um, you know, I'm, I'm, they're going to send me to Charlotte. He goes, I nah, don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. He goes, the old man wants you to go to Hawaii. You're going to go to, you got to go to Hawaii. So Dominic said, you know, listen, kid, he goes, don't go. He goes, because they're not making any money down here. I said, but Dominic, how can I tell Vince McMahon? No, I'm not going to do this. He goes, well, you tell him, he goes, you know, you got a wife and you know, uh, you know, you can't, you can't afford to do that. I said, I said, I appreciate it, but. You know, I I don't think it's a good idea to tell. I mean, especially I was a kid. You know, hey Vince, I don't think we're going to Hawaii. They're not making any money. I don't think that would have sit too well. You know, so uh, I I you know wound up going. Real quick, <clears throat> you were saying that that when you were in Hawaii, the WWF Vince and all them were still paying you. Was that? I mean, obviously, other than the special arrangement of, of Vince Sr. wanting to help out Peter Maivia, was that common back then to to kind of do a trade with other territories? Hey, I'm going to send you a guy, and while you're there, you're getting paid by your real boss and not the, not really by the people you're working for? I don't think so, honestly. I mean, I think Vince knew that they weren't making any money, and he wanted to send myself and Jimmy down there uh, to help out, but he also knew that, you know, we – you know, we both had obligations here and we had to, we had to make, we had to make this, you know, a certain amount of money just to survive. So I really don't think that's a normal thing. I mean, I think that was kind of, you know, kind of special. And I, I actually had a, a pretty good rapport with uh senior. Um, he did like me and, 
and, and right, actually, it was only a few months before he had passed. I had called him, and that's when I was working in California. And I told him that, you know, I wanted to come back to New York. I said, but, you know, I want to come back, and, you know, if you got got something for me. And he said, kid, it goes, I like it. But right now there's nothing open. He says, but he goes, stay on the road. He goes, and when things, something opens up, he goes, I'll, I'll bring you back. And that was kind of the agreement we had. And then uh, I guess it was three or four months later, he had passed away. And um, that was, you know, that was kind of the end of that. Um, but then I did go back. Uh, I did start to, I came back after, oh, I was up in the Pacific Northwest for, for quite a while. And then I came back to New York. And then when I came back to New York, that's when uh, the IWA started. And Dominic was kind of like the booker there because Dominic had left. And um, I think, and Bruno was kind of helping him out. And Dominic had come up to me and said, listen, kid, he goes, we we'll want to bring you over to this, you know, this new league that we got, the IWA. He goes, we'll give you a guarantee. We'll pay you every week. You only have to come to TV. In the beginning, you're only going to work TV once every three weeks. And then um, he goes, well, then we start shows. He goes, you know, then you'll just get paid regular. But until we get going, we'll, give, we'll make sure we give you a guarantee and you're going to get paid every week. So, you know, he had told me, you know, he asked me to come. So I, I was like, all right, you know, I mean, they, he told me they were going to use me as a, as a baby face and they were going to use me on top. And, um, you know, he had David San Martino coming in and uh, <clears throat> he actually had a lot of really good workers. Manny Soto was there and Tom Schroeder. Jeez, uh, there, there was a lot of uh, Johnny Valiant, um, Jerry Valiant. Uh, they actually had, you know, pretty good. We had a really good crew there. And um, yeah, so I, that's, uh, I started working. Dominic had kind of, you know, asked me to come over and work there. And so I, I made this the jump. Mike, why did they change your name? I think that's when they changed you to Rocky Jones, correct? Yeah, because I became a baby face. Okay. More like a fresh start kind of thing? Yep. Yep. Okay. And yeah. you actually did wrestle Johnny Valiant several times, I believe. Oh, yeah. 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 It worked with Johnny a lot of times. Yeah. And I mean, it, most of those, Johnny wasn't getting clean wins over you. I mean, those were like no no contest uh, disqualifications, yeah. things like that. So they were booking you pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And Johnny was a character, man. He was. Oh, <laughs> he we, we've he heard so character. much about Johnny Valiant. Oh, my God. He was a character. It's funny. I mean. It, you, he just he he could he just crack you up. I mean, like he was just he was like always on. No matter in the locker room, in a in a restaurant, no matter where you went, Johnny was on. <laughs> he was a character. I, I think Johnny Valiant and Bobby Heenan were the two like most na naturally funny guys in professional oh, wrestling. Yeah. Yep, yep, yeah. Well, Johnny yeah. went on. He had a little stand-up career there for a while. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it, it, it's funny. You, people lose track of you know, the, with obviously the, the, the modern age. We recommend it, Benny. How many times have we said on the show, go back and look at some of the old tapes and see the, the guys like the Valiant Brothers and some of the older territory promos to just see how much better and different talking was compared to the scripted yeah. stuff you see on TV today. Oh, yeah. Without, without a doubt. I mean, the guys were, some of the guys were just phenomenal on the mic, like, uh, you know, superstar Billy Graham. I mean, you know, as a kid, I used to watch him and, I, you know, I used to try to mimic him. And 
Uh, he was awesome on a mic and, uh, uh, Don Morocco was great on a mic and, uh, uh, there were so many guys that were good. And it, you know, it's funny you say that about being scripted because about 10 years ago, they had called me to do a, a commercial for SummerSlam with, um, Sean Michaels and triple H. So I, they, you know, yeah, sure. I'll do it. So I go up to the headquarters. That's where we're filming. And as soon as I get in the building, producer comes running over. Then the director comes over and the director's like, okay, I'm going to get the script writer over here. He's going to give you the script, what you have to say. And I'm like this now to me, you know, I've been away from that. You know, I was working territories. I was away from this, from this type of what they do today. So the script writer comes over and he hands me two pages of script. And I'm looking at this. I'm like, you want me to, to say all this? So the guy's like, well, you don't have to say it, you know, exactly as it's written, but you need to hit all these points. I said, okay, you know, I can do that. It's not a problem. I can do that. I said, but I'm not comfortable like reading, like, like it's scripted. I, I'd rather be able to do it. I could hit the points, but let's make it look, you know, natural. So he, he agreed. The guy said, yeah, that's fine. You know, and uh, we wound up doing it one take. They flipped. They thought it was great. And, uh, you know, that, that was it. And, um, you know, but I mean, I was, you know, when I, when I was, at, when I started, you know, you had Arnold Scullin come over to you or Angelo and all right, kid, you're working in this town. Just tell them, just talk about who you're wrestling and make sure you get, you know, what, what, what day it is and what time it is and that stuff. Make sure you get that in, you know, I said, here I am. I felt like I was on a, you know, a, a TV, like a, uh, a series, a drama series or something with the scripts and the producers and directors and, it was uh, really pretty foreign to me. Speaking of foreign, I was hoping to get um, in the back to some of your touring schedule. Nineteen in in the early eighties, uh, you did some time in Japan, and your time yeah. there was, uh, I mean, who's who: Anoki, Hogan, some of the bigger names. I was wondering because you weren't in Japan very long, as far as your your schedule goes. Uh, if you have any any good stories from Japan, and then Benny wants to get get your because after Japan you came back and ended up in Portland. We want to touch on both yeah. of those territories. Sure. Uh, yeah, I I went to my first tour was I was actually in California at the time, and um, that's when I had the belt, and that's why I wound up dropping the belt because um, I was going to go. Uh, I called him. I had called Vince Senior and said, you know, Vince, I'd like to. I'd like to go to Japan. I said, when you have a, a, a tour coming up, you know, please keep me in mind. So he said, well, we got the Madison Square Garden tour going uh, in two weeks. I'll put you on that. And I said, wow, that's great. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, um, you know, I, I went over there and that was, yeah, we had, uh, let's see, who was on that tour? <sighs> Bobby Duncan, Dusty Rhodes, Hogan, um, who else? Chris Adams. Myself, um, tour Kamada. I mean, it was a, it was a really it was a good tour. Uh, Stan Hansen, uh, Tiger Singh was there. Uh, it was it was a really big tour, and uh, yeah yeah that was uh, that was pretty cool. I actually wrestled the Noki uh, in Kariki and Hall, which uh, that was really cool because you know he had he fought Muhammad Ali. And uh, here, you know, I'm getting an opportunity to, to wrestle this guy in, you know, in, in Japan, in Tokyo. 
and uh, that was really special. Um, yeah, we wound up getting we did what as usual. We wound up getting into a little trouble. Um, yeah, at the time, Chris Adams and myself we were pretty tight, and Chris was really he was a, he was a strange guy. When he was sober, the guy was the nicest guy in the world. But once he got drunk, he was a he was a maniac. I mean, he just do crazy, crazy stuff. Like they, they, we went out one night. It was myself and and Chris and uh, this guy wanted to take us out. So they always sent somebody from the office, especially because we were two younger guys. So they figured, you know, we could, you know, we would screw up something. And um, we're driving. So we went out, and this guy took us out and had us out all night long. Took us to a restaurant. He took us to a bar. And, you know, we, we were hitting it pretty good. And so Adams wanted to head a bunch of posters. He wanted a bunch of posters. Um, so we're driving. We're in the back seat, and the, and the guy and the, and the guy from the office is driving. Well, Chris takes the uh, the poster, rolls him up like a baseball bat, and he smacks the guy as he's driving across the face with with the posters. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Cut it out. And he's like, ah, heck with him, man. I'll smack him in the gob, right? So now this guy's pissed, and then Adams does it again. Well, I said, oh, man, that's it. We're going to get friggin' fired now. That's, that's the end. So this guy comes flying up to the KL Plaza where we're staying. He never even hit his brakes. He pulled in here about 50 miles an hour, jammed on our brakes, and started screaming at us in Japanese. So we get out of the car. I'm like, oh, man, we're dead. We're, we're done. They're going to fire us on the spot. But fortunately, I, for some reason, they didn't, they didn't fire us. But it was, a, it was pretty crazy. And then uh, another time, it's funny, we're, we're sitting in the lobby of the Kiel Plaza and uh, we got water pistols. So we're, we're sitting and the Kiel Plaza is like this really big, fancy hotel. And people are standing, you know, checking in and stuff. And we're shooting them with the water. They don't know where it's coming from. And they're arguing with the guy behind the desk and they're pointing to the ceiling. They think there's a leak in the, in the roof. And we're sitting there rolling on the floor as we shoot these people with water pistols. And it was just, you know, just crazy stuff. That's almost like a prerequisite. You got to get in a little trouble. I mean, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You you, you manage to do that a lot in that business for sure. So I've heard <laughs> from all the. I mean, the the great thing about I mean, one of the reasons why I love professional wrestling is not only you know you know the the, the in ring action, but every wrestler has like a whole volume of stories, and they're all different, and oh, yeah. every single one of them is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty crazy, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's a crazy business. I'm, I'm assuming it's a lot like rock and roll, you know, I mean, it's kind of the same, you kind of do the same things, you know, you go out, you perform and then that after you perform, you're out and you're partying. And I mean, I know it's a lot different today. They don't really do that anymore, but you know, back in the day, I mean, it was a lot of camaraderie and, you know, after the matches, you all went to the bar and, you know, you all hung out and sometimes, uh, you know, you wound up in a, you know, in a brawl or whatever, but, uh, yeah, that's just, that's just the way it was back then. And it was, you know, it was really, uh, it was, it was a blast. I have to say it was a blast. You were, uh, I mean, you travel with these guys, you know, nowadays, I think pretty much it's airfare, but back, you know, airplanes, yeah. but then you were driving from town to town mostly, correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you, I mean, you drove. Right. And you're in a car with three other guys and I'm sure you're talking to, I mean, you're talking about wrestling, of course, but you know, and one of the things I've always mentioned and, and people should thank old school wrestlers for what they did, because I'm sure there was, there was times when you missed 
a holiday, you know, a birthday, an anniversary, a Christmas. Right. You were on the road doing, you know, doing your thing, yep. trying to make a living. Yep, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 not it's it's not an easy business. I mean, like I said, I assume you know any entertainer, uh, I'm, I'm sure experiences the same thing. But it's really it's lonely, and that's why you. I mean, that's why we stuck together. Because, you know, you had some camaraderie, but it's kind of a lonely life. I mean, you know, you don't have your family, you don't have your, you know, to your friends. And it's, uh, you know, it, you're on the road, you're in a different place every night. And it's, uh, you know, it could be it could be very lonely. And, you know, you wind up, you know, doing stuff just to be amused. And, uh, yeah, it's not it, it's not an easy lifestyle. Uh, you know, not at all. Absolutely. Mike, um one of the uh, when I was doing some research, I saw that you, you wrestled for a while in Portland, uh, which is a yeah. legendary territory. And you had a pretty nice run there. Um, I saw I watched yeah. a match with uh, you and uh, Iceman King Parsons. And I think that one yeah. went to a draw. But I do believe you actually defeated him several times. And he became uh, a world champion, I believe, in WCCW, world champ, world class championship wrestling. Yep. So who who yeah. else did you work with in PNW? And um well, Don Owens, uh, I've heard, was one of the most honest and reputable promoters yep. there was. So if you can tell us who you worked with and, and your experiences with yep. Don Owens. Don Owens was a really good man. Uh, he paid us well. Uh, he, t- he took care of us. Uh, really, really nice man. Uh, I was part of Buddy Rose had his army. So I was one of the army members. It was myself, Stan Stasiak, who was another great guy. Um, buddy, and then when they switched Matt Bourne to heel, Matt was with us. So uh, guys that I wrestled, I wrestled uh, Steve Regal, not the guy that was here uh, from England, but Mr. Steve Electricity. Regal, he was, yeah, he was from Indianapolis or something, yes. I think. Uh, Hack Sawyer, um, Art Cruz, and then Rocky Johnson came in, but I was on my way out. So I actually wound up doing a loser leave town match with Rocky. Okay. But yeah, you were booked pretty strong there. It, it seems you were, yeah. you know, you, yeah. you were I mean, mean Mike masters, strong, correct? Yes. I was doing a strong man gimmick. And uh, what the thing we used was the full Nelson. And, and it was kind of a lineage thing. First, I think Jimmy Snooker used it when he was out there. He used the full Nelson as a finish. And then um, after him, Jesse Ventura was there, and he used the, the full Nelson. And then uh, <clears throat> I came along, so they, they had me use the full Nelson. And the gimmick was that I put so much pressure on the on uh, when I locked my hands that I couldn't – I would get disqualified. I'd win the match and get disqualified because I couldn't release the, uh, my hands because they would swell up and I couldn't get them loose. So Buddy had to come up with a secret solution that he would put on my fingers after I, the guy submitted, and then I could break the hole. Uh, we actually we went to Eugene, Oregon, and I was working with Matt uh, Bourne was still a face. So the thing was, um, they wanted me to go in there and finish the mat, finish Matt with the full Nelson. So it's funny because Elton Owens, who was Don's brother. He ran the territory, but he never wanted, he was always afraid of getting sued. So he never wanted to get too much heat than he matched. So Elton had gone on vacation and Don, he loved getting crazy. 
So Don's like, we're going to get this damn, this damn town off its ass, man. He goes, we're going to get this thing going. Masters, he goes, I want you going there. And at the end of the match, he goes, you put that full Nelson on board and you don't take it off. You keep it on him and he's going to be flopping around like a fish. I'm like, okay, you know, so we get in the ring and we do our thing. And uh, I think Stan was standing outside. Stan Stasek was standing outside the ring. And here comes the finish. And I put this on him and I got it on. And these people start going nuts. They're going crazy. Now they start charging the ring. They're running, they're running, trying to get into the ring. But they used to use these kids that were rodeo riders. And they're all these lean, you know, uh, sinewy uh, Bronco riders. And there, there was the ring security. And they were loving it because people were running in trying to get in the ring. And these kids are dropping people left and right. <laughs> and we're standing in the ring. And Stan happened to be standing by the edge of the ring. And some guy hooked his leg and pulled him down. Oh, he got, Stan got so pissed. And uh, they took him down. He, got, he, got, he was looking for the guy, but he never found him. But these kids, they were taking care of business outside the ring. But the thing is, we went back there the next week. place was sold out. You said it was sold out? Sold out the next week. We came That's back. Awesome. We sold the place out. Yeah. You know, I just, yeah. I just realized, Mike, that about 30 years later in WWE, there was a young kid named, uh, I'm sure it wasn't his real name, Chris Masters, uh, and his finishing yep. hold was the full Nelson, which he called a master lock. Right. Yep. Just a yep. coincidence, yeah. or uh... yeah, that's a, that's a coincidence. Actually, I, I've seen some uh, some people on on the internet wondering if he was my son. Um, but uh, no, no, no relation, and just that's just so that just happened to be a, a coincidence that the you know that's that was the gimmick that he uh, he used. Same thing though, though you know that he had the master lock challenge. You had to break his full Nelson. I'm not sure if anybody ever yeah. broke it. Yeah, yeah, I, I I don't know. I didn't really follow it, but uh, yeah, Bob, yeah uh, I, I I don't know. Yeah, Bobby Lashley ended up being the one, the first one to beat that. Oh, did he break it? Okay. Yeah, when they were pushing him for the big feud with um Donald Trump and all them at, at leading up to Mania. Uh-huh. Oh, okay, that makes sense. But um. Yeah, as we as we wrap up here, uh, I mean, we talked about the territories, uh, Florida and Portland, Japan, the Northeast. Is there is there anywhere it, when you were traveling the road? Is there anywhere that you absolutely like arenas or maybe just small venues or a territory? Like, hey, if 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 in a perfect world, I'm back here next week. Is there is there any place you you kind of went out of your way to want to try and go and get to? Uh, I, I, I was, it was really cool working in the Omni, uh, cause that was kind of like the garden of the South. And, um, I remember I worked, I worked, I had gone in, I did a couple TVs and then they brought, they wanted to bring me in. Uh, they were actually, they, they were going to have me be part of the legion of doing Roberts was the booker. So what had happened was, um, I'm working in the Omni. I was working with um, Jesse Barr, who was working as Mr. Wrestling 3. Now, Jesse Barr was a phenomenal amateur. I mean, he was on the, the Olympic team that didn't go to the Olympics. Really good kid. And his dad, Sandy Barr, was a referee out in Portland. But the Omni was, uh, was a place like that I, I wanted to work because that was kind of like Madison Square Garden uh, of the South. And um, so I had that opportunity. And then I had an opportunity there where I was going to be part of the Legion of Doom. What had happened was I came in and I worked. I did one 
um, I went around one time. We we did we worked in Ohio and Michigan, West Virginia, and then I was came home. I was I was going to come home, get my stuff, and then go down there permanently. And while I was home, I got into a motorcycle accident and, <clears throat> and banged up my leg, so I couldn't work for. I was out for six months, so that kind of put the kibosh on that one. And then after that, it, it kind of, I think right after that is when they went with, it became WCW. And I think they brought Hogan and a bunch of guys in there. And uh, they started with that, I guess, NWO. And, but uh, yeah, the Omni was, was pretty cool. And the Olympic auditorium, uh, that place is, it's legendary. I mean, it, it's heartbreaking that it's not an arena anymore. Now I think it's a Korean church, but I mean, when I, when I worked there, at the Olympic, I mean, it was like going into a museum. They had all these old portraits, huge portraits of old-time wrestlers, and and uh, you know, it, it, they shot so many movies. Matter of fact, while I was there, they were shooting Rocky Three, and then they were filming a, a movie with Peter Falk called All the Marbles uh, while we were there. And um, one thing that I thought was really cool, they filmed the Raging Bull there, and. I remember calling my dad from the Olympic Auditorium on his birthday from the phone booth uh, that they used in the Raging Bull where Jake LaMotta is talking to his brother and his brother's, you know, giving him a hard time. You know, your, your mother sucks, blah, 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 you know. And uh, that was the, the the phone booth that I called my dad from. And it was wow. in, the, in the Raging Bull. It was that was cool. uh, the Olympic Auditorium. was awesome. De Niro and Joe Pesci, right? Yep. I, yep, I think. Yep. Wow. And of course, the garden. I mean, the garden is like, I mean, you work in a garden and it's, it's, I mean, it's a legendary place for all sports. I mean, not just wrestling, boxing, basketball, hockey. I mean, that was really something, you know, you, you get there and I mean, it was only four years before that I was in high school and I'm staring out and where I grew, where I went to high school in Kearney, New Jersey, uh, right across, I could see right across to the, um, to New York. You could see at the time the Twin Towers and stuff. And uh, not the Twin Towers, the um, Empire State Building. And, uh, you know, bit little did I know, four years later, I'd be in the middle of Madison Square Garden. And actually, I think the first time I worked there was the biggest crowd they ever had, because this is before cable TV. So it was when Bruno was working with Larry, and they sold out the garden, oh, yeah. and the Fell Forum was sold out downstairs. And uh, it was really cool walking in, because they, outside they had, the, they had this thing going around, like a banner going around with lights. And it had all the matches. It had my name on there going by there. It was pretty awesome. And uh, I have to, you know, I, I remember right before I went in the ring, I'm standing backstage and Blondie was there uh, right by the curtain. She was a big wrestling fan and she was standing there and I was talking to Blondie and I'm like, wow, this is pretty surreal. You know, and then you, you walk out to the ring. And I mean, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I'm walking into the ring. It's the first time in Madison Square Garden and I'm a little nervous, but it was, it was really, it's, I mean, I've, in my life of everything I've ever done, playing football, wrestling, whatever, once the bell rang or the whistle blew, I went to a different place where I didn't even know there was anybody there. And so here I am now in Madison Square Garden. I think I was working with Tor Kamada and 26,000 people. And there could have been one person. I, I wouldn't even know the difference because I kind of like just blocked it all out. But <laughs> walking into the ring, I was ready to soil myself. <laughs> wow. Well, Benny, as, as we uh, as we wrap up here, any any closing thoughts before we say goodnight? Well, I had a quick question. Well, it, it, it's kind of a two-parter, a little bit long-winded, but 
Um, you know, you're a long-winded Car- question from you, Benny. That's for me, unusual. what a surprise, right? Um, <laughs> you, you said you're from Kearney, New Jersey, and New Jersey is a hotbed of of great wrestlers. You got Buddy Rogers, Bam Bam Bigelow, Diamond Dallas Page, Andrew Anderson, King Kong Bundy, the Malenkos, and contrary to popular belief, Chief J Strongbow is not from Pawhuska, Oklahoma. I'm breaking kayfabe here. <laughs> He's actually from Nutley, New Jersey. So Nutley, um, New Jersey. So I guess like, two questions. One is, you know, what was it about Jersey that produced all these great wrestlers? And then the, the second question is, um, are you actually still wrestling? I, I, I saw something on Facebook that you're wrestling on Friday. Yes, yes. I'm wrestling Friday. and I'm really proud of this because this will be my sixth decade of being in the ring. I've been wrestling for 42 years, but this is the sixth decade because I started in the 70s and now it's the 2020s. So it's my sixth decade of being in the ring. Um, so I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about that and I'm proud of that. It's, uh, we're going to have, it's going to be a nice show. It's going to be in Franklin, New Jersey. So anybody that's listening, if you're in the area, come by. It's going to be a really good show. Um, there's going to be uh, the executioner is going to be there, and um, Andrew Anderson will be there. Uh, Alpha Junior is going to be there, so it's going to be a it's going to be a good show. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to be wrestling Friday, uh, yeah, this Friday night. Uh, why New Jersey is a hotbed for wrestling? I don't know. I mean, they used to have the, I think it was called the Laurel Gardens in Newark. And um, they used to put on, I guess this was back in the Capitol wrestling days, but they used to put on some big shows. And I remember uh, actually Bobby Davis, who was a manager, young guy, I think in his early 20s. And he started a freaking riot down there uh, at the the arena there. And, um, but I think that had a lot to do with it because, I mean, it was really popular. And I think they always did really well there um, in Newark. Bobby Davis is a name that very few modern fans know about. But when I when I first started watching in the late 60s, he was the manager of, at that time, uh, Virgil Butcher, the Kentucky Butcher. And uh-huh. uh, he, I remember one match when, and, and the Butcher ended every match with the pile driver. And, you know, the, the result was that the guy got carried out of the ring in the stretcher. And yeah. he was going to wrestle Bruno, I think, at the Garden. But he wrestled that night. He wrestled Arnold Skolin. And, uh, of course, you know, Butcher did the pile driver. They, you know, they, they get the stretcher. And then when when uh, right as they're lifting Arnold up, Bobby Davis and uh, Butcher just heave the lift the, str- the stretcher up. And Arnie goes hurtling out of the ring. And, you know, you, you hear Ray Morgan the next week telling everybody where they <laughs> could send. Uh, I think he was in White Plains Hospital, Arnie. And where you could see uh-huh. where you could send uh-huh. the, the cards and letters, but Bobby Davis was a heat magnet. I don't think. I mean, I don't think the oh, man's yeah. ever gotten his due. No, he was. A, he was. A, I mean, from what I remember, because I was very young at the time. But I mean, and you know, at the time, I thought it was a shoot, so I hated him. You know, he. Oh, absolutely. Same I hate here. That Bobby Davis. I hate that guy. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he was. He was really, really good. Then. Uh, he, I know he went, I think he wound up in Texas and he owned like a bunch of Wendy's or something like that. He just, I think he just passed away. He, yes, very, very, not about a year ago, maybe, or something like that. Maybe not even. Yeah, yeah. But he did very well for himself. He, was, he was well he off, was yes, really sir. Really good. Really good. Very, very smart man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, 
Mike, I appreciate your time. And we say this, <laughs> Benny, it seems like every week we have somebody on. Uh, we're definitely going to have to have you back because there's so much more to tell. I mean, you were just talking about a match in 2021 and going over your career, we ended in the 80s. So I really feel like there's some more we could talk about. Got about 30 years to fill in there. <laughs> yes, there's a, just a tiny gap in there. So uh, we'd love to have you back, and I appreciate all your time. It's great stories. We love hearing the stories from the road in the territory days. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm 38, so I was right at the cusp where I, we had NWA and WWF on two different channels. Benny is just a few months older than I am. A couple months. So. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he, re he remembers just a little bit more, but now we appreciate all your time. And um, if you have a, a, as we wrap up, is there anything else besides your upcoming show and any final thoughts or anything you want to plug before we sign off with you? Uh, not really. I mean, I, I just, I, I have to say that wrestling um, really opened a lot of doors for me. It gave me an opportunity to do so many things uh, outside of the business. And, uh, you know, I, I can't, I, I don't, honestly, I don't relate to what goes on today. Uh, honestly, I don't even watch it because it's such a different business from what I was brought up in. But um, it's, it, it really, it was a phenomenal experience. I mean, where have, you know, a young guy, I mean, I got to live in Hawaii. I was in Japan. I mean, uh, Trinidad, I mean, all over, you know, all over the world. I mean, where would I ever have an opportunity to do that? And to be in a ring with guys like George Steele and Killer Kowalski and, and, uh, you know, Mr. Luthez, Neil Masters, yeah. yeah Luthez. And, and, and fortunately, I mean, for some reason, the, the promoters like me and I never had to put any of them over. They, we all, you know, they, they were really kind to me and they made me look good. Uh, one quick story I, I like to relate before we leave is I, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I was really into lifting weights and, and, I had uh, pictures of Kenny Patera hanging up in my basement when he was a weightlifter, not when he was a wrestler, but when he was a weightlifter. And I remember the second time I went down to TV, I saw Kenny there and I was kind of, oh, wow, man, Ken Patera. And Kenny came walking up to me. He goes, Hey kid, I watched you last week. He goes, you know, you look really good. And I was like, wow, I, I was on cloud nine. Cause here's this guy, Ken Patera at the time, you know, was when he was lifting weights was, if not the strongest, one of the strongest men in the world. And I had his pictures hanging up as a kid and I had an opportunity and, you know, he came up to me and, 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 you know, complimented me. And I, that was like, wow, blew my mind. That's crazy. What do you think, Benny? Uh, I, you know, I wasn't really a fan of the heels, but there was a, there was two, he like, number one, Baron McElsacluna, absolutely loved Billy Graham. Yep. The man just like absolutely oozed charisma. And then Ken oh, Patera. Was yeah. to me like you know I was a big Bruno fan, and you know thinking you know at the time thinking it was a shoot, uh, I was scared to death that he was going to beat Bruno. I mean he I mean he had it all. He he could wrestle. The guy was you know yep. stronger than twenty guys, and I mean he yeah. was a great he was great on the mic. He did everything really really well. I really as yeah. as a heel he, to me he's on the Mount Rushmore of heels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. He was great. Absolutely. You know, he had the look and he had the rep. I mean, he he was a really really strong guy. I mean, when you locked up with him, it was like locking up with a bear. <laughs> he was strong. <laughs> well, I mean, but good 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 guy. 
as a guy, guy that used to, uh, you know, you hear stories about people crushing apples and doing this. Uh, Ken, Ken Pateri used to bend rebar just for fun. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that was his, yeah. that was his booth gimmick. Yeah. Yeah. I actually <laughs> did the, the apple gimmick when I was out in Portland. They had me oh. do that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, uh, Mike Jones. And many other names you've been known as. We we appreciate your time. Thank you so much. As you heard at the end of the show, you have an uh, event coming up in New Jersey. For any of our listeners that might be in that area or be able to catch it, uh, check it out. We thank you so much for your time. Um, again, have a good evening, Benny. You'll get back with you uh, maybe or, or through Javier. And uh, we'll definitely try and have you back on. I, I love it. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, it's been a thank pleasure, you. Mike. Thank you, sir. You have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Man, Benny, it's it's crazy how much different life is for the territory guys versus the wrestlers today. And I just love hearing the stories. And of course, you know, he name dropped how many of our favorites from the last, you know, 40 plus episodes we've done. It's it's just it's those are the kind of conversations I love having on the show. And and sadly, I think it's going to, it's going to be a lost thing because, you know, guys nowadays, they're not driving together. They're flying, they're going their own separate ways. Yeah. You know, the, the, the stories that, that guys like Mike tell, um, they're not going to exist anymore. No, not, not even, I mean, and even back before it transitioned to Peacock, when it was still the WWE network, they had a show called ride along, which recorded like the wrestlers and cars together. But it was it was funny, but it was obviously also phony. You know, it was the guys that normally wouldn't travel together or their stories were clearly scripted. You know, it was it was reality television. It was it was fake. It wasn't a real I mean, imagine throwing a a, a pinhole camera in a car with the Steiner brothers or, you know, he's, he's telling stories about you know, Jim drunk, Jim Duggan eating sandwiches off the hotel floor like, you know, that guy in the car the next morning. Well, you know, it, it, the I, I remember the ride along show and they'd have, you know, a couple of guys in a nice SUV, you know, beautiful brand new SUV driving to yeah. like a beautiful hotel. You know, yeah. whereas the territory guys, they had four, you know, four guys in a Volare, you know, with, with no air conditioning, probably. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they're stopping at, a, you know, a convenience store and they're getting, a, you know, a bread and bologna. And right, they're, the, know, they're probably staying at a flea bag motel, and you know, two guys they they're, they're rolling dice is who gets the mattress, and you know, yeah, totally you got you got situation. You know, the the you hear some of the road stories, like you put you put put both the Steiner brothers in the back seat of a Pinto, like, you know? <laughs> uh, it's crazy. I'll tell you what, we've got um a lot of good stuff coming up, Benny. We've had another great fun conversation. We uh, continue to grow and expand. Actually, uh. Gentleman uh, I work with outside of the podcast gave us a shout out. Uh, he listened to our Knuckles Nelson show, gave us the thumb. You know, he was uh, congratulations on the thousand members. So, I mean, we we continue to have fun, grow, expand. I mean, not too bad for a couple of friends with uh, some microphones and a laptop, huh? Absolutely not. I mean, you said I think you said one time that the average life of a podcast is three episodes. Three episodes, and yep. we're we're closing in on fifty. So we, we're doing something right. Yeah, we clearly, and, and we continue to get great guests, great stories. Um, I mean, we're eventually, we are eventually gonna have to pay uh, our friend Javier a finder's fee with all the talent he keeps sending our way. Huh? Yes. Yeah. He's like our real estate agent. He's, you know, he's... <laughs> uh, 
That's funny. And and look at some of the great conversations just the last couple days we've had on the Facebook page. We are, you know, how great it is to be able to have the, the intelligent conversations with, you know, uh, a little, and they may get a little emotional here or there. And, um, you know, our buddy Mikey will find a way to plug himself in every, you know, throw, throw, throw a shout out to himself when we talk product. But Mikey you know, Messi is the, fun, the, right? he's, he's the Reggie Jackson of wrestling. He's the master at stirring the pot. You know, he's oh, very always, good at it. Always a good time. Well, Benny, uh, another great show in the book. So for the BS Express himself, I'm Dan Sebastiano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time. Stay safe, folks.